Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. This final greeting of Paul to the to the Colossian believers. And some of you haven't been with us, and so just by way of review, we'll catch you up. Epaphras, who was a Colossian, had heard the gospel from Paul, maybe in Ephesus. But he became a believer. And what he did is he took the gospel and his newfound faith back to Colossae, where he shared his faith. And by him sharing his faith, a church was started. And so this church is growing, and several years had passed, and there arose... A heresy among them. There were some people there that were teaching things that weren't true. People in the church, they were teaching that Christ wasn't sufficient. They were trying to persuade the Colossian believers that they needed to, yes, trust Jesus, but there's a lot of other things they needed to do. They needed to have certain experiences. They needed to have some special knowledge. There's certain things they couldn't do, some certain food they couldn't eat. So they're adding all these rules to faith in Jesus. These are the type of people, when they told you about their relationship with Jesus, they begin with I and they finish their their talk with me. It was all about them and what they did and their experiences and what they knew. And so Epaphras was so concerned about this heresy that he made the long journey from Colossae to Rome to talk with Paul, who was his mentor. And Paul, of course, is a prisoner there. And as a result of that conversation and that Meeting, Paul wrote this letter to warn these Colossians against this false teaching. And Epaphras, he stays in Rome with Paul, but Paul sends this letter delivered by Tychicus to the believers there. So Paul, what he's been doing is he's been pushing Jesus to the front of the stage. It's like it's like this stage here. He's pushing Jesus to the front of the stage, putting a big spotlight on him. Look at chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head of every power and authority. So he's telling them they are complete in Christ. He's painting this wonderful picture, pushing Jesus to the front of the stage. Jesus is sufficient. He, faith in Christ is enough. That's all you have to do is trust Jesus. You don't have to do anything else. Because you've received fullness in Christ, you're complete in Christ. Okay, now getting to chapter 3, what should you do? Now that you're a believer, you've repented, you've trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, He's changed your life. Okay, now what should you do? Well, Paul gives us this picture, right, of, of putting of, of taking these old nasty clothes off, right? Take off the old self. Right? Put to death what, what, what you used to do. Right? Take off the old clothes. Stop doing certain things. As a believer, there are certain things we shouldn't do. Right? We shouldn't be sexually immoral. We shouldn't be greedy, which he calls idolatry. We shouldn't lie. We shouldn't uh, be prone to anger and fit of rage. Right? Those things we shouldn't do. Those are, those are uncharacteristic of a believer, a person who's been saved by Jesus Christ. But then, he says, we need to put on some things, like putting on those new clothes. But there's some habits that you need to form, some things you need to do, right? You need to be compassionate and kind to one another. 
You need to bear with one another. You need to be forgiven. That's that, Those are characteristics of a believer. So because you're completing Christ, there's things you shouldn't do and there's things you should do. So, well, of course, that, that's a given. But in the last few weeks, we've seen Paul inform these believers how to treat their family members. Husbands and wives, how should you treat one another? Parents, children, how should you relate to one another? How should you relate to those you work with? Employees, how should you relate to your boss? And bosses, how should you treat your employees? And then last week we looked at the passage dealing with unbelievers. Paul goes through this list of relationships and he gets to last week, people who don't know Jesus. How should you treat people who who aren't believers? They're not they're unrepentant. They're not involved in the church. They're object of God's wrath. Well, he says carelessness in our speech and our action may cause a prejudice toward the truth, right? So we need to be careful how we act and what we say around people who don't know the Lord. And in verse 6, we see that our speech should give evidence that grace is abundant in our lives and lead to the working of grace in others. That's where we are here in verse 7. On Wednesday nights, I just finished a series of, of, of Bible studies with our students. On Wednesday nights, I teach them from 6.30 to 7 before they go to their rec time. And I, what I've been doing is going through the major stories of the Bible. It's like if you have a, if you have a, a picture storybook Bible when you're a child, I taught all those stories. You know, the stories of creation, the story of uh, Abraham, and the story of Noah, we think about all the picture books, if you have small children or grandchildren, you know, Jonah, David, Joseph, all those stories that if you if you go to VBS or you go to church, you know. And, and the reason I've been teaching those major stories is because on Wednesday night we have a lot of students that come. That's the only time they go to church. And they, they don't have Christian homes and they don't have moms and dads who read them. Storybook Bibles, right? Because a lot of these stories they, they've never heard of. So I just finished that. And it's, I'm kind of surprised sometimes of the, the things they don't know. You know, just stories you, you just assume. Yeah, everybody knows about David. Everybody knows about Jonah. Everybody knows about Daniel, right? But not everybody does, right? In fact, fewer and fewer people in America know, know about these characters in the Bible. And if I ask you, take Hebrews chapter 11, the Hall of Faith chapter, and it speaks of people like Abel, Enoch, right? People like that. You, you would know Noah, Abraham, right? Yeah, you, you know those people, right? Rahab. You would probably know, oh yeah, I know the story of Rahab. But today we're going to look at some rather obscure people. We're going to look at and talk about Tychicus and Aristarchus and Demas and Nympha. These are some rather obscure folks. But these are people that the Lord used in Paul's life and the life of the Colossian believers. And so we're going to walk through here and try to find out who these people are. Okay, so let's see if we can find out a little bit about them. Look at verse 7 through 10. And this is our first point today. This is a point I think that we can uh, know from this text 
is we are nobodies telling everybody about somebody who can save anybody. That's a quote from Jim Elliott. If you're familiar with Jim Elliott, he, is a, he was a missionary back in the 1950s who uh, was martyred. He was killed. He was working on an Aka project down in the, the jungles. They were trying to reach unreached people, people that never heard the gospel. And so they worked for, for months and months to try to reach these people. They finally reached them. And they were he and five others were speared to death by these people that they were trying to reach. So he was killed as a missionary trying to take the gospel to these people. But he said that. That was a quote. It's a very famous quote. Um, a lot of people use a lot. But that's our first point today. We are nobody telling everybody about somebody with a capital S, somebody being Jesus, who can save anybody. Okay? Now, most of these characters we're looking at, look at verse 7. Tychicus. He said, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. Now, Tychicus was a delivery boy. He was delivering this message this letter back to the Colossian church. And he, he, he carried with it also the letter to Philemon and, and the, the letter to the Ephesians as well. But it says here, he is a dear brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. Now he's only mentioned five times in Paul's writing. Now all these names, there's nine of them. And these people are mentioned briefly in the Bible. Very briefly. Who is Tychicus? Well, he's a, he says, he's a, um, a servant. Of the Lord, right? A dear brother. He's a faithful minister and a fellow servant. But he didn't. He didn't say anything, right? He didn't say anything. He didn't write anything. He didn't get any glory. Um, Shane, he would be if he played football. He would be the offensive lineman because he's the guy that nobody talks about. I mean, how many offensive linemen can you name in the NFL? If you're a football fan, how many? How many offensive linemen can you name? Not many. They're just not spoken of, right? They don't get any glory. They don't get a lot of credit, right? They just do all the hard work, right? And protect the people and block for the people and help the people who get all the money and the, the notoriety and the fame, right? Yeah, this guy would kind of be like, he'd be an offensive line. He's like a nameless servant. And he's mentioned in Titus in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, in, in, in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, in Acts chapter 20, he's mentioned. It says he's a faithful minister. And, and that's the same phrase and term used to speak of Epaphras who started the church and also the Apostle Paul. He's just a, a faithful minister. He should inform Paul, I mean inform the Colossian believers about Paul, how Paul's doing. Here's this letter, deliver it to the, the believers there in Colossae and tell them how I'm doing. Take up Epaphras' slide. Filling his spot while he's gone. Tychicus. What do you know about him? Not much. Very little, right? Where nobody's telling everybody about somebody who can save anybody. Look at verse 9. Anismus. Anismus may be someone you might have heard of. Well, um, he found his way to Rome after stealing and robbing his, his owner. He was a slave. He robbed his owner and he had fled. He, had, he was a runaway slave. And he, he goes to Rome and somehow, most likely, he got thrown in jail with, of all people, the Apostle Paul. It seems like they, they were inmates together. Now, if you're uh, a heathen, uh, the last person you'd want to share a cell with would be the Apostle Paul. Uh, and uh, what happens to Onesimus in the slammer? He gets saved, right? His life is radically changed. And 
but, but, he, but that's who he is. He's a, a thief and a runaway slave. What does it say about him? Verse 9. Our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. One of you meaning he's a brother, right? He's saved. He's, he's, he's stolen. He's a runaway slave, right? He's a rogue. He's a heathen. But guess what? Now he's one of you. He's a brother in Christ. And he's not so different than you and me, right? I mean, think about our lives. Think about who we were before Christ. Think about how we lived our lives. You know, some of you as an 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old, right? And then you think about, because sometimes we read this and we think, man, he was just, you know, he was, he was a thief, he was a slave, and he ran away, and all that, in that context, how that was just a horrible thing to do. But yet we think about our own lives and think about, you know, we can kind of identify with this guy. He's a, a rebel. He had a, he had a rough go of it, but yet God had saved him, right? He said we are nobody's telling everybody about somebody who can save anybody. Onesimus was saved, his life was changed. He had some skeletons in his closet, kind of like you, kind of like me, right? We want, to, we want to think we got it all together, and we're trying to. We're trying to have it all together, right? And we should, right? That's what we talk about. Taking off the the outer garment, the old things, right? We're putting on the new things, right? Yeah. I mean, think about things that we've done and said and been a part of. You know, we don't want those things exposed. There's so many things that we do say, think, that we would be so appalled if we had if anybody knew about those things, right? Yeah. But that was that's an instance. But yet, what happened? He was saved through the power of the gospel. Much like, much like us. Look at verse ten. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you greetings as well. Now that's only the only time he's mentioned, other than Acts chapter nineteen. If you remember Acts chapter nineteen, Paul has been in Ephesus, and the ministry is going so well there that he's putting the idol. Makers, the silversmiths, those who made idols for their great temple, they were they worshipped Diana, this false god, and there was a lot of idol makers there. He, were, he was putting them out of business. God was using Paul so much in in Ephesus that the temple was the workers were, were not making any money. And so, what do they do? What do they cause this thing? They had a big riot. And what they did is they, it says in, in Acts chapter 19 that they drug Aristarchus into the theater, right? They're probably fixing to thrash him. And then someone came in, told them how foolish they were, and it was dispersed. But you see, Aristarchus, that's the only thing we know about him. But he was there when the times were tough. And he's a fellow prisoner. Yeah, he, he's in, in, in jail because of his faith. This guy was willing to pay the price. Jenny and I was fortunate to meet people and work with people in China that were willing to pay the price. No matter what it cost them, no matter if it cost them their jobs, their livelihood, their families, they were willing to pay the price. And that's Aristarchus. Yeah, for the gospel, for Jesus. He went to jail. He's willing to, to do whatever 
he has to do to promote the gospel. Let's continue on. He mentions Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Well, Mark is mentioned more than the others, right? We have the gospel of Mark. You remember the story of Paul on their first missionary journey? Barnabas, it, was, it wasn't, it was Barnabas and Paul at that time, right? The first missionary journey. They go out and they take Mark with them. But what did Mark do shortly after they started out? Yeah, he deserted. He abandoned ship. He said, I don't want any part of this. I want to go home. And so he went home, right? And so it it caused such an issue between Paul and, and Barnabas on the second missionary journey. Paul wouldn't have any, he wouldn't have anything to do with it. You know, no, I'm not taking this guy. It was such an issue. He said, well, if you're going to take him, you can just go your way and I'll go my way. And so that's what they did. Barnabas took Mark and Paul. He chose another side to get Silas to go with him. But we see Mark, yeah, he was, he didn't have any stick to itness, right? And so Paul on the second journey didn't want anything to do with him. He blew it, right? Again, we are nobody's telling everybody about somebody who can save anybody. But what do we what do we know of Mark later on? Second Timothy chapter four, verse eleven. Paul tells Timothy to bring Mark with him to meet Paul because he is useful to me. Something happened in Mark. Yeah, he wasn't like an Aristarchus. He didn't have a he didn't have a lot of grit to him at the beginning. But what happens toward the end? Yeah, the Lord used him in a mighty way. Yeah, he would he had blown it, but yet God had used him. It's interesting. They had such a, a clash, right? But then yet here they're they've been reconciled. And that's what happens when you know the Lord, right? Two people who are in fellowship with the Lord, they can't resist reconciliation. I talked to some married couple. Being married is hard, right? It's hard. I talked to a young lady. She was married this last week, two weeks ago, right? And um, and her husband had to go off to boot camp. And, um, we talked about that. Talked about being married and just being a struggle. When you think about God, what He did, when he created man and woman and put us together in the same house. You got a man and a woman, right? That's enough, right? Our thinking is different, right? How we do things is different. And then you have different personalities and you have different families, which is always a struggle, right? Because my mama did it this way, my mama did it that way, right? And so you have this struggle, you know? But if you're, I say that about. Um, it's a struggle. It's hard for anyone. You know? People who just you just say, wow, man, they just have such a great marriage. Ed and Libby, they just love each other. They look at her, her arms all wrapped around and she just can't get enough of it. But you know what? It doesn't matter your, what it looks like. Man, there's always conflict. Just because we're sinners. We're sinners and we live together. There's conflict. But I'll say that. We're speaking about Mark and Paul and how they were reconciled. They are reconciled because they were believers, right? But that, that's true of married couples. We have conflict, but if you're both believers, especially, there's no reason why there can't be reconciliation regardless of the offense, right? Because think about Jesus, what He did on the cross. He took all of your punishment for you. So that you can be reconciled to the Father. Can someone do something so 
despicable that we can't forgive in light of what Jesus has done for us? I don't think so. And not to say that that's easy, and we don't make light of our issues. There's some issues we just have to work through and deal with. But two people who are in fellowship with the Lord, they, they can't resist reconciliation. If they can't be reconciled, then there's a problem with either one or both of them, right? Yeah. Mark, he's a nobody, right? Who was saved by somebody, right? Yeah, he blew it. Yeah, look at what happened. God used him. He says, he is useful to me in 2 Corinthians, I mean 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul, they had been restored. It's like, man, this guy is useful. And we know that he wrote on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of Mark. Look at verse 11. Jesus, who is called justice. Wow. How would you like that? Talk about some pressure. Here's my son, Jesus, right? Yeah, how would you like to have that for a name? So what does he do? He, yeah, he goes by different name. Can't do that one. Yeah, I'm going by justice. I'm justice for now on. Don't call me Jesus, right? Yeah. He, that's what we know about him. He just changed his name, right? They said he's a worker for the kingdom of God. And he says, these are all, what? The Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have proved a comfort to me. So these are the Jews that we've already listed. These are Jewish people sending greeting to this Gentile church. Verse 12, Epaphras, we've talked a lot about him. He's the founder of the church, right? And he's the one who came to Paul and with this problem that the church was having, right? He says he agonized over them, right? He is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus. He always wrestles in prayer for you. That means agonize. He just works for you in prayer that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. We talked about him a lot already. But you know what? I uh, he, he just felt for these believers and he loved them and he hurt for them. And so we do. He prayed for them. He prayed for them. And when we were in China, we had two ladies. Laura Lee is one of them. Laura Lee Goforth and Miss Mary G. Um, she's a 80-plus-year-old 80, 80 lady in Georgia. And what Laura Lee and Mary, Miss Mary G. would do is if we haven't emailed them, they haven't gotten word for, uh, from us in a couple of weeks, they would email us. Oh, you asked me about so-and-so. Or last week you asked us to pray for Brother Yao, how is his situation? We want to know so we can pray. And it, you can't imagine the comfort it gave us, you know, um, to know that people were praying that she and Miss Laura Lee uh, and Miss Mary G were, were holding down the fort, so to speak. They were praying for us. They were interceding for us. And we knew that they wanted to pray for us and they were working hard at it. And it just gave us a lot of comfort to know here we are in the middle of nowhere, right? Um, I was thinking about this last night. Annie Gray, she's riding a bike and she has a wreck. And um, she cut her leg. And we're actually thinking, that's, um, I don't know if it needs stitches or not. And so what we did is we just took her over to Miss Cindy and Brother Ronald's house and had her look at it and say, do we need, this need stitches or we just cleaned up, let it fly, super glue it, whatever. And uh, I was telling her this morning, what a, blessing that was because a year ago if that happens if we have to go to the doctor well it's like a 12 14 hour trip you know bus ride uh two train rides you know it's just a long ordeal just to get to a, a doctor but i was thinking what a blessing it was to be able to run across the field and see the city she could look at it and say oh, i'd be okay we need to do this and this um 
yeah, what a, what a what a blessing. But to be able to have those prayer warriors, those advocates for you, it makes life better, easier. Knowing people are going going to war with you, going to battle for you, and in prayer. Epaphras, he loved these people and he prayed for them. Look at verse 14. Our dear friend Luke, well, we know him. He's a, a doctor, right? He's a historian. He wrote the Gospel of Luke and, and the book of Acts about the New Testament church. He had interviewed people like Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, right? He talked to all these people and he wrote an account in the book of Acts. We know about Luke, right? And then Demas, verse 14. He's not given a description. And in fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we see Paul's news there. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. See, Demas didn't persevere in his faith. He didn't persevere in his faith. Um, how do we know? What, 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 is, what assurance do we have of our salvation? If I had to ask you, are you a believer? You say, yeah, I'm a believer. Well, what assurance do you have of your faith? Yes, you rose from the dead. But individually, in your own life, what assurance do you have of your salvation? What do people say? They'll say many things, right? Some things, well, you know, I was when I was, you know, ten years old or twelve years old or twenty years old, this is what happened. And I find that really disturbing, especially when you have to we have to preach funerals. You have to preach a funeral and you're talking to family, especially somebody you don't know, and they're telling you about yeah, this person when they were, you know, 18 years old, they made this decision and they became a believer. But yet, when they're in their last years, you don't see any evidence of persevering faith. See, that's the only assurance we have of our salvation. It don't matter what happened when you were 10, or even when you're in Bible school, right? You talk about Bible school. It doesn't matter what happened in Bible school if you're not persevering in your faith right now. See, that's the assurance we have of our salvation is that we persevere in our faith. And of course, if you have faith, there, there's going to be fruit, right? But that's how we know we're believers. It's not like I was, I was saved November 25th of 1990. But when someone says, how do you know you're saved? I don't say, well, November 25th of 1990, I gave my life to Jesus and surrendered my life to the Lord. I repented and I began to follow Him. And that's it? No. No, because today I'm still trusting in Jesus' work. I'm trusting that Jesus did die on the cross for me. On the third day, He rose from the dead. You ask me, what's your sin of salvation? It's not like, well, I try to be a good person or try to do this or try to do that or I go to church. So what? Who cares? That doesn't matter. What matters is, are you trusting Jesus right now for your salvation? What are you depending on? Jesus. That's it. If you say anything else, it's like these her- heretics in philosophy, right? They're Jesus plus I, 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 me, me, me. No, it's just Jesus. That's it. What's your, what assurance do you have of your salvation? It's Jesus. It, his work in your faith in Jesus and His work in the cross. That's it. That's the assurance you have of salvation. Yeah. But Demas didn't persevere in his faith, right? He didn't. He loved the world. Oh yeah, he, he, he for a while he looked really good and he did some good things, but in the end he loved the world. He just worldly. 
It was just worldly. It was lost. Verse 15. Nympho. What are we told about her? Only that the church met in her house. She gave him her house. Gina and I, we we just got back from China this last furlough and we were in a church in Georgia. And we were talking to him, this this small group leader, had small group time, and then I asked him, well, all your small groups, do they meet on Sundays or do y'all meet during the week? How's your structure of your church set up? He's like, oh, man, we meet on Sunday mornings. Yeah, goes, yeah, man, man, during the week, this is too much trouble. Man, people don't want to have to clean their house and stuff. I'm like, really? Okay. We don't want nobody to go through trouble, you know, for the kingdom. <laughs> and then we then uh, then they had a uh, then they had a, a fellowship. And I was like, oh, we're having potlucks. Like, no, 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 potlucks. That's a lot of trouble. So we just had these snack trucks that come in. And snack trucks cost like eight dollars for a chili dog or something, you know. Like, okay, <laughs> preaching us out of he's he's in cahoots with the snack truck. <laughs> uh, he wants in a lake house and a steve or something. Good church, good church, good people. But you know, it's just this hot enough. We we heard that in one day, it was like double whammy. No, have to clean your house. That's a lot of trouble. Okay. And then, you know, we don't want to cook because that's a lot of trouble. But, well, that's just a great opportunity to serve your people, to serve your church family, I think. We'll do pop up. No snack trucks here. Okay? <laughs> uh, but Nympha, what, that's all we know about her. Yeah. Is she, just, she just offered her home for them to be in her home, right? Look at verse 17. Archippus. Tell Archippus. See to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. Now it seems maybe that he's the leader of the church there. And Papa started the church. This guy may be the leader of the church. But he says, complete the work you received in the Lord. Well, that'd be good. That's a good word to us, isn't it? Just complete the work we've been given. Whatever it is we've been given to do, let's complete that work in the Lord. And then in verse 18, Paul, he writes this reading in his own hand. He had someone writing his, this letter for him. History tells that he couldn't see very well, but he, he, this last little bit he wrote with his own hands. So that was Paul. This is from Paul. Where nobody is telling everybody about somebody who can save anybody. These people that we just looked at, they used to be anybody's. They used to be anybody's. They heard the gospel, but now they're nobody's. Because what are they doing now? There are nobody telling everybody about that somebody, Jesus, who can save anybody. Are you a nobody? Then God can use you. Because all these people in their list here, they just, we don't know, most of them, we don't know anything about them. One or two sentences given about them. And some of them were pretty rough characters, but yet God used them. Yeah, God can use you too. You might be here and you're not, you never trusted Jesus. Well, Onesimus was a, a thief and a runaway slave. Paul had, I mean, Mark had blown it on more than one occasion. But yet, what did Jesus do? He saved them and redeemed them so they could be used for his kingdom work. You can be as well. Where nobody's telling everybody about somebody who can save anybody. Second point. I think that we can learn from this last little greeting here is that we need each other. Paul, he lists these characters that were used in his life and the life of the believers in Colossae. 
Yes, it's true. There's just no lone rangers in the church. We just don't do it on our own. You know, this idea that we just buckle down and get her done, that just doesn't happen in the church. We need each other. Because we're all weak and needy. That's why we come to Christ, right? We come to Christ. Women, there's so many more women in the church. In America it is. And in China it's true too. Why? Because men, they don't want to be needy. They're not willing to be needy in order to submit themselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, right? Yeah. But we need each other. We're interdependent upon one another, right? Hebrews tells us, chapter 10, verse 25, the writer of Hebrews says, Don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but continue to meet together and all the more encourage one another as you see the day of Jesus approaching, His second coming. We need to... Jesus is coming back, so we need to encourage one another. Ecclesiastes, I'm going to read this for you. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Probably the only, the only passage in, in Ecclesiastes a lot of you would know. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 8, verses 8 through 12. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. It's kind of meaningless, the author of Ecclesiastes was Solomon, to be alone, not having anyone to help them. It's very discouraging. Yeah, we need each other. We need each other. And in our church, we have worship on Sunday morning, but what, what we want to do in our goal is eventually to have everybody involved in a small group. Because in a small group, when you're in a small group of people, there's things that can happen. You can be intimate with one another. You can have accountability. People can know your needs. You can get to one, know one another. We've been on Wednesday night. We've been talking about kind of a self-assessment of our church. And the first few nights we had about ten people there, and we began to pray for one another and just pray, have prayer time. Just everybody's just praying. But as more and more people were coming on Wednesday night, what happened was nobody would pray. And now when we have prayer time, just a couple people will pray, you know, because you've got 30, 40 people or so here. They're like, oh, yeah, it just something happens, you just lose that intimacy when you get more people there. People we don't know, people we're not willing to be vulnerable with. We get kind of more uh, self-conscious maybe. But now it's just me praying and a few others, right? But that's what happens. We need to be in a small group because you can get accountability and people can know your needs and you can become more intimate. And that's what, we, that's what we need. So encourage you, if you're not in a small group, to be a part of one. We're have some small groups here on Sunday. We're going to be starting some, some small groups during the week pretty soon. But, yeah, we need each other. Paul, he needs, with all these people he mentioned, he needs those people, right? Yeah, we're needy. We're nobody's telling everybody about somebody who can save anybody. We need each other. Second point. The last one, and I will close. We imitate, we imitate those we learn from. 
Look at chapter 1, verse 9. This is Paul. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Okay? Now look at verse 28. We'll read 28, 29. We proclaim Him, speaking of Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. Now this is Paul. He's talking about himself. This is his own words. His own prayers for his people. His desires for the Colossian believers. Now look at chapter 4. And the point here is we imitate those we learn from. Look at, look at chapter 4. Verse 12. Speaking of Epaphras. Because Epaphras was one of Paul's boys. He was one of his disciples, right? There's a trouble at the church. What does Epaphras do? He goes and finds Paul. Tells Paul about it. Hey, Paul, what should I do? How do we handle this situation, right? Yeah, Paul was his mentor. But we just read Paul's thoughts and words. Now look at Epaphras. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Jesus Christ, in greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. It's interesting how similar those are. What does Epaphras do? He does the same thing Paul does, right? He does the same thing Paul does. In fact, Paul tells the Corinthian believers in chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. A lot of you older believers, you're imitating somebody. A lot of things that you have people teach you and pour into you, and you're imitating those people right now. Well, who's going to imitate you? What do I mean by that? See, discipleship, we say imitation is the best form of flattery. Right? You've heard that before? Well, imitation is the means to discipleship. It's how we're discipled. Is we imitate people. We, we watch how people live their lives and we imitate them. And that's what, all throughout the New Testament, you see that older people in the faith teaching young people. It's a principle in Titus that's pushed, especially for women. The older women teach the younger women, right? So what do we see here? We see Paul saying these things about prayer and how he wants the, the Colossian believers to mature and, and, and grow up. And Epaphras is doing the same thing. Why? Because Epaphras was one of Paul's boys, you know? You know, it's Father's Day. Been back 15 years. And I, I haven't seen a lot of people, you know, I haven't seen, and I, I'm running into people all the time at a restaurant or a gas station, whatever. And I look at them, man, I know that person, I just can't remember her name, right? And sometimes, and this happens quite often, I come to and say, you might be Hartsfield's boy, aren't you? I'm like, yes, sir. How do you know? Well, you just, you look just like them, Right? Or I'll say something, and someone says, that sounds just like my car tree, right? Why is that? Well, apple didn't fall too far from the tree. You know? Yeah, I'm his son, right? Growing up, I, what I do, I imitate my dad. And that's what we do. It's Father's Day. You imitate your father. So be a good father so your kids will imitate you, and that'll be a good thing, right? But as believers, that's what we do. We teach younger believers. 
teach them, what do they do? They imitate us. How we walk with Jesus and how we handle situations. So my question for you is, who are you imitating and then who's going to imitate you? So there's just something about we've learned from people, we, we imitate them. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.